0: Chapter 10 of The Virginian. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Virginian by Owen Wister. Chapter 10. Where fancy was bred. Two camps in the open, and the Virginian's monty horse, untired, brought him to the Swintons in good time for the barbecue. The horse received good food at length, while his rider was welcomed with good whiskey. Good whiskey for had not steers jumped to seventy-five? Inside the goose-egg kitchen many small delicacies were preparing, and a steer was roasting whole outside. The bed of flame under it showed steadily brighter against the dusk that was beginning to veil the lowlands. The busy hosts went and came, while men stood and men lay near the fire-glow. Chalk-Eye was there, and Nebraska, and Trampus, and Honey Wigan, with others, enjoying the occasion. But Honey Wiggin was enjoying himself. He had an audience. He was sitting up, discoursing to it. "'Hello,' he said, perceiving the Virginian. "'So you've dropped in for your turn. Number six, ain't he, boys?' "'Depends who's a runnin' the countin,' said the Virginian, and stretched himself down among the audience. "'I've saw him number one when nobody else was around,' said Trampas. "'How far away was you standin' when you beheld that?' inquired the lounging Southerner. "'Well, boys,' said Wigan, "'I expect it will be Miss Schoolmarm, says who's number one to-night.' "'So she's arrived in this ye country?' observed the Virginian, very casually. "'Arrived,' said Trampas again. "'Where have you been grazing lately?' "'A right smart way from the mules.' nebrasky and the boys was telling me they'd missed you off the range again interposed wiggin say nebrasky who have you offered your canary to the schoolmarm said you mustn't give her nebrasky grinned wretchedly well she's a lady and she's square not taking a man's gift when she don't take the man but you'd ought to get back all them letters you wrote her you sure ought to ask for them telltales aw pshaw, honey protested the youth it was well known that he could not write his name. "'Why, if here ain't Boke Baldy! cried the agile Wiggin, stooping to fresh prey. "'Found them slippers yet, Baldy? Tell you, boys, that was terrible, sad luck Baldy had. Did you hear about that? Baldy, you know, he can stay on a tame horse most as well as the schoolmarm. But just you give him a pair of young knitting needles and see him make em sweat. He worked an elegant pair of slippers with pink cabbages on em for Miss Wood.' "'I bought em at Medicine Bow,' blundered Baldy. "'So you did,' assented the skillful comedian. "'Baldy, he bought em, and on the road to her cabin there at the tailor's, he got thinkin' they might be too big, and he got studyin' what to do, and he fixed up to tell her about his not bein' sure of the size, and how she was to let him know if they dropped off her, and he'd exchange em, and when he got right near her door, why, he couldn't find his courage, and so he slips the parcel under the fence and starts serenading her. But she ain't inside her cabin at all. She's at supper next door with the Taylors, and Baldy singing, Love has conquered pride and anger, to a lone house. Lynn McLean was coming up by Taylors' corral, where Taylors' Texas bull was. Well, it was turrible sad. Baldy's pants got tore, but he fell inside the fence and Lynn drove the bull back, and somebody stole them medicine-bow galoshes. Are you goin' to knitter some more, bouquet?" "'About half that ain't straight,' Baldy commented, with mildness. "'The half that was tore off your pants? Well, never mind, Baldy. Lynn will get left too, same as all of you.'" "'Is there many?' inquired the Virginian. He was still stretched on his back, looking up at the sky. "'I don't know how many she's been used to where she was raised,' Wiggin answered. "'A kid stage-driver come from Point of Rocks one day and went back the next. "'Then the foreman of the 76 outfit, and the horse-wrangler from the Bar Circle L, "'and two deputy marshals with punchers stringing right along, all got their tumble. "'Old Judge Burridge from Cheyenne come up in August for a hunt, "'and stayed round here and never hunted at all.' There was that horse-thief, awful good-looking. Taylor wanted to warn her about him, but Mrs. Taylor said she'd look after her if it was needed. Mr. Horse-thief gave it up quicker than most, but the schoolmarm couldn't have knowed he had a Mrs. Horse-thief camped on poison spider till afterwards. She wouldn't go ridin' with him. She'll go with some, takin' a kid along." "'Bah!' said Trampas. The Virginian stopped looking at the sky and watched Trampas from where he lay. "'I think she encourages a man some,' said poor Nebraska. "'Encourages? Because she lets you teach her how to shoot?' said Wigan. "'Well, I don't guess I'm a judge. I've always kind of kept away from them good women. Don't seem to think of anything to chat about to em. The only folks I'd say she encourages is the school kids. She kisses them.' "'Ridin' and shootin' and kissin' the kids,' sneered Trampas. "'That's a heap too pussy kitten for me.' They laughed. The sagebrush audience is readily cynical. "'Look for the man,' I say,' Trampas pursued. "'And ain't he there? She leaves Baldy sit on the fence while she and Lynn McLean—' They laughed loudly at the Blackguard picture which he drew, and the laugh stopped short, for the Virginian stood over Trampas.' "'You can rise up now and tell him you lie,' he said." The man was still for a moment in the dead silence. "'I thought you claimed you and her wasn't acquainted,' said he then. "'Stand on your legs, you polecat, and say you're a liar.' Trampas's hand moved behind him. "'Quit that,' said the southerner, "'or I'll break your neck.' The eye of a man is the prince of deadly weapons. TRAMPUS LOOKED IN THE VIRGINIANS, AND SLOWLY ROSE. I DIDN'T MEAN, HE BEGAN, AND PAUSED, HIS FACE POISONOUSLY BLOATED. WELL, I'LL CALL THAT SUFFICIENT. KEEP A STANDIN' STILL. I AIN'T going TO TROUBLE YOU LONG. IN ADMITTING YOURSELF TO BE A LIAR YOU HAVE SPOKE GOD'S TRUTH FOR once. HONEY WIGGIN, YOU AND ME AND THE BOYS HAVE HIT TOWN TOO FREQUENT FOR ANY OF US TO PLAY SUNDAY ON THE BALANCE OF THE GANG. He stopped and surveyed public opinion, seated around in carefully inexpressive attention. We ain't a Christian outfit a little bit, and maybe we have most forgotten what decency feels like, but I reckon we haven't forgot what it means. You can sit down now if you want. The liar stood and sneered experimentally, looking at public opinion. But this changeful deity was no longer with him, and he heard it variously assenting, That's so, and she's a lady, and otherwise excellently moralizing. So he held his peace. When, however, the Virginian had departed to the roasting steer, and public opinion relaxed into that comfort which we all experience when the sermon ends, Trampas sat down amid the reviving cheerfulness, and ventured again to be facetious shut your rank mouth said Wiggin to him amiably i don't care whether he knows her or if he done it on principle i'll accept the roundin up he gave us and say you'll swallow your dose too us boys'll stand in with him in this so trampas swallowed and what of the virginian he had championed the feeble and spoken honorably in meeting and according to all the constitutions and by-laws of morality he should have been walking in virtue's especial calm. But there it was. He had spoken. He had given them a peep through the keyhole at his inner man, and as he prowled away from the assemblage before whom he stood convicted of decency, it was vicious rather than virtuous that he felt. Other matters also disquieted him. So Lynn McLean was hanging round that schoolmarm. Yet he joined Ben Swinton in a seemingly Christian spirit. He took some whiskey and praised the size of the barrel, speaking with his host like this, "'There certainly ain't going to be trouble about a second helping.' "'Hope not. We'd ought to have more trimmings, though. We're shy on ducks.' "'You have the barrel. Has Lynn McLean seen that?' "'No. We tried for ducks away down as far as the Laparel outfit.' A real barbecue. There's large thirsts on Bear Creek. Lynn McLean will pass on ducks. Lynn's not thirsty this month. Signed for one month, has he? Signed? He's spoonin' our schoolmarm. They claim she's a right sweet-faced girl. Yes, yes, awful agreeable, and next thing you're fooled clean through. You don't say. She keeps a teachin' the darn kids. AND IT SEEMS LIKE A GOOD GROWED-UP MAN CAN'T INTEREST HER. YOU DON'T SAY. THERE USED TO BE ALL THE DUCKS YOU WANTED AT THE LAPAREL, BUT their FOOL COOKS DEAD STUCK ON raisin TURKEYS THIS YEAR. THAT MUST HAVE BEEN MIGHTY CLOSE TO A DROWNDIN' THE schoolmarm MARM GOT AT SOUTH FORK. WHY, I GUESS NOT, WHEN? SHE'S NEVER SPOKEN OF ANY SUCH THING, THAT I'VE HEARD. MOST LIKELY THE STAGE DRIVER GOT IT WRONG, THEN. "'Yes, must have drowned somebody else. "'Here they come. "'That's her ridin' the horse. "'There's the Westfalls. "'Where you runnin' to?' "'To fix up. "'Got any soap around here?' "'Yes!' shouted Swinton, for the Virginian was now some distance away. "'Towels and everything in the dug-out.' And he went to welcome his first formal guests. The Virginian reached his saddle under a shed. "'So she's never mentioned it,' said he, "'untying his slicker for the trousers and scarf.' I didn't notice Lynn anywheres around her. He was over in the dugout now, whipping off his overalls, and soon he was excellently clean and ready, except for the tie in his scarf and the part in his hair. "'I'd have knowed her in Greenland,' he remarked. He held the candle up and down at the looking-glass, and the looking-glass up and down at his head. "'It's mighty strange why she ain't mentioned that.' He worried the scarf a fold or two further, and, at length, a trifle more than satisfied with his appearance, he proceeded most serenely toward the sound of the tuning fiddles. He passed through the storeroom behind the kitchen, stepping lightly lest he should rouse the ten or twelve babies that lay on the table or beneath it. On Bear Creek babies and children always went with their parents to a dance, because nurses were unknown so little alfred and christopher lay there among the wraps parallel and crosswise with little tailors and little carmodies and lees and all the bear creek offspring that was not yet able to skip at large and hamper its indulgent elders in the ballroom. why lynn ain't here yet said the virginian looking in upon the people there was miss wood standing up for the quadrille I didn't remember her hair was that pretty, said he, but ain't she a little, little girl?" Now she was, in truth, five feet three, but then he could look away down on the top of her head. "'Salute your honey,' called the first fiddler. All partners bowed to each other, and as she turned Miss Wood saw the man in the doorway. Again, as it had been at South Fork that day, his eyes dropped from hers and she, divining instantly why he had come after half a year, thought of the handkerchief and of that scream of hers in the river, and became filled with tyranny and anticipation, for indeed he was fine to look upon. So she danced away, carefully unaware of his existence. First Lady Center, said her partner, reminding her of her turn. Have you forgotten how it goes since last time? molly wood did not forget again but quadrilled with the most sprightly devotion i see some new faces to-night she said presently you always do forget our poor faces said her partner oh no there's a stranger now who is that black man well he's from virginia and he ain't allowin he's black he's a tenderfoot i suppose ha <laughs> ha that's rich too And so the simple partner explained a great deal about the Virginian to Molly Wood. At the end of the set she saw the man by the door take a step in her direction. "'Oh,' she said quickly to the partner, "'how warm it is! I must see how those babies are doing.' And she passed the Virginian in a breeze of unconcern. His eyes gravely lingered where she had gone. "'She knowed me right away,' said he. He looked for a moment, then leaned against the door. "How warm it is," said she. "Well, it ain't so screechin' hot here, yeah. and as for rushin' after Alfred and Christopher, when their natural mother is bumpin' around handy, she certainly can't be offended." He broke off and looked again where she had gone, and then Miss Wood passed him brightly again and was dancing the shoddysh almost immediately. "Oh yes, she knows me," the swarthy cowpuncher mused. She has to take trouble not to see me, and what she's a-fussin' at is mighty interestin'. Hello! Hello! returned Lynn McLean sourly. He had just looked into the kitchen. Not dancin'? the Southerner inquired. Don't know how. Had scarlet fever and forgot your past life? Lynn grinned. Better persuade the schoolmarm to learn it. She's goin' to give me instruction. Ha! Huh went Mr. McLean, and skulked out to the barrel. "'Why, they claimed you weren't drinkin' this month,' said his friend, following. "'Well, I am. Here's luck,' the two pledged in tin cups. "'But I'm not waltzin' with her,' blurted Mr. McLean grievously. "'She called me an exception.' "'Waltzin,' repeated the Virginian quickly, and hearing the fiddles, he hastened away. "'Few in the Bear Creek country could waltz.' and, with these few, it was mostly an unsteered and ponderous exhibition. Therefore was the southerner bent upon profiting by his skill. He entered the room, and his lady saw him come where she sat alone for the moment, and her thoughts grew a little hurried. "'Will you try a turn, ma'am?' "'I beg your pardon?' It was a remote, well-schooled eye that she lifted now upon him." "'If you like a waltz, ma'am, will you waltz with me?' "'You're from Virginia, I understand,' said Molly Wood, regarding him politely, but not rising. "'One gains authority immensely by keeping one's seat. All good teachers know this.' "'Yes, ma'am, from Virginia.' "'I've heard that Southerners have such good manners.' "'That's correct,' the cowpuncher flushed, but he spoke in his unvaryingly gentle voice. For in New England, you know," pursued Miss Molly, noting his scarf and clean shaven chin, and then again steadily meeting his eye, "gentlemen asked to be presented to ladies before they ask them to waltz." He stood a moment before her, deeper and deeper scarlet, and the more she saw his handsome face the keener rose her excitement. She waited for him to speak of the river, for then she was going to be surprised, and gradually to remember, and finally to be very nice to him. But he did not wait. "'I ask your pardon, lady,' said he, and bowing, walked off, leaving her at once afraid that he might not come back. But she had altogether mistaken her man. Back he came, serenely, with Mr. Taylor, and was duly presented to her. Thus were the conventions vindicated." It can never be known what the cowpuncher was going to say next, for Uncle Hughie stepped up with a glass of water which he had left Miss Wood to bring, and, asking for a turn, most graciously received it. She danced away from a situation where she began to feel herself getting the worst of it. One moment the Virginian stared at his lady as she lightly circulated, and then he went out to the barrel. "'Leave him for Uncle Hughie!' Jealousy is a deep and delicate thing, and works its spite in many ways. The Virginian had been ready to look at Lynn McLean with a hostile eye, but finding him now beside the barrel he felt a brotherhood between himself and Lynn, and his hostility had taken a new and whimsical direction. "'Here's how,' said he to McLean, and they pledged each other in the tin cups. "'Been getting them instructions?' said Mr. McLean, grinning. I thought I saw you learnin' your steps through the window." "'Here's your good health,' said the southerner. Once more they pledged each other handsomely. "'Did she call you an exception or anything?' said Lynn. "'Well, it would cipher out right close in that neighborhood.' "'Here's how, then,' cried the delighted Lynn over his cup. "'Just because you happen to come from Vermont,' continued Mr. McLean, "'is no cause for extra pride shoo i was raised in massachusetts myself and big men have been raised there too daniel webster and israel putnam and a lot of them politicians virginia is a good little old state observed the southerner both of em's a sight ahead of vermont she told me i was the first exception she'd struck what rule were you proving at the time lynn well you see i started to kiss her you didn't Shucks! I didn't mean nothin'. I reckon you stopped mighty sudden. Why, I'd been ridin' out with her, ridin' to school, ridin' from school, and a comin' and a goin', and she chattin' cheerful and askin' me a heap of questions all about myself every day, and I not lyin' much neither, and so I figured she wouldn't mind. Lots of 'em like it, but she didn't. You bet. No," said the Virginian, deeply proud of his lady who had slighted him. He had pulled her out of the water once, and he had been her unrewarded knight even to-day, and he felt his grievance, but he spoke not of it to Lynn, for he felt also, in memory, her arms clinging round him as he carried her ashore upon his horse. But he muttered, Plum Ridiculous, as her injustice struck him afresh, while the outraged McLean told his tale. "'Trample is what she has done on me to-night, and without notice.' We was starting to come here Taylor and Mrs were ahead in the buggy and I was holdin her horse and helpin her up in the saddle like I done for days and days who was there to see us and I figured she'd not mind and she calls me an exception it ought to have just heard her about western men respectin women so that's the last word we've spoke we come 25 miles then she scootin in front and her horse kickin the sand in my face Mrs. Taylor, she guessed something was up, but she didn't tell. Miss Wood did not tell. Not she, she'll never open her head. She can take care of herself, you bet. The fiddles sounded hilariously in the house and the feet also. They had warmed up altogether and their dancing figures crossed the windows back and forth. The two cowpunchers drew near to a window and looked in gloomily. There she goes, said Lynn. "'With Uncle Huey again,' said the Virginian, sourly. "you might suppose he didn't have a wife and twins to see the way he goes gamboling around.' "'Westfall has taken a turn with her now,' said McLean. "'James!' exclaimed the Virginian. "'He's another with a wife and family, and he gets the dancin' too.' "'There she goes with Taylor,' said Lynn presently. "'Another married man,' the Southerner commented. They prowled round to the storeroom and passed through the kitchen to where the dancers were robustly tramping. Miss Wood was still the partner of Mr. Taylor. "'Let's have some whiskey,' said the Virginian. They had it and returned, and the Virginian's disgust and sense of injury grew deeper. "'Old Carmody has got her now,' he drawled. "'He polkas like a landslide. She learns his monkey-faced kid to spell dog and cow all the morning.' He'd ought to be tucked up cosy in his bed right now, old Carmody ought. They were standing in that place set apart for the sleeping children, and just at this moment one of two babies that were stowed beneath a chair uttered a drowsy note. A much louder cry, indeed a chorus of lament, would have been needed to reach the ears of the parents in the room beyond. Such was the noisy volume of the dance." But in this quiet place the light sound caught Mr. McLean's attention, and he turned to see if anything were wrong. But both babies were sleeping peacefully. "'Them's Uncle Hughie's twins,' he said. "'How do you happen to know that?' inquired the Virginian, suddenly interested. "'Saw his wife put him under the chair so she could find him right off when she come to go home.' "'Oh,' said the Virginian, thoughtfully, "'Oh, find em right off, yes, Uncle Hughie's twins.' He walked to a spot from which he could view the dance. "'Well,' he continued, returning, "'the school must have taken quite a notion to Uncle Hughie. "'He has got her for this quadrille.' The Virginian was now speaking without rancour, but his words came with a slightly augmented drawl, and this with him was often a bad omen. He now turned his eyes upon the collected babies, wrapped in various-coloured shawls and knitted work. Nine, ten, eleven beautiful sleepin' strangers,' he counted in a sweet voice. "'Any of em yarn, Lynn?' "'Not that I know of,' grinned Mr. McLean. Eleven, twelve. this here's little Christopher in the blue-striped quilt. Or maybe that other yellow-head is him.' THE ANGELS HAVE COMMENCED TO DROP IN ON US RIGHT SMART ALONG BEAR CREEK, LYNN. WHAT TRASH ARE YOU TALKING, ANYWAY?" IF THEY LOOK SO AWFUL ALIKE IN THE HEAVENLY garden, THE GENTLE SOUTHERNER CONTINUED, I JUST HATE TO BE THE FOLKS THAT HAS THE cuttin' OF em OUT OF THE GENERAL HERD. AND THAT'S A RIGHT QUAINT NOTION, TOO, HE ADDED SOFTLY. THEM UNDER THE CHAIR ARE UNCLE HUEY'S, DIDN'T YOU TELL ME? and stooping he lifted the torpid babies and placed them beneath the table. "'No, that ain't thorough,' he murmured. With wonderful dexterity and solicitude for their welfare, he removed the loose wrap which was around them, and this soon led to an intricate process of exchange. For a moment Mr. McLean had been staring at the Virginian, puzzled. Then, with a joyful yelp of enlightenment, he sprang to abet him." and while both busied themselves with the shawls and quilts the unconscious parents went dancing vigorously on and the small occasional cries of their progeny did not reach them chapter ten